Well, y'all can take a seat. Good morning. It is so good to be with you guys. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, It is good to just be back together in person after being scattered to the ends of the earth. Um, But as we uh, start this new year, I have a very, very important question for all of you guys to consider, okay? It's a very deep question, uh, and it is this. Where is the best place in town to get tacos? Okay, so if you need to like consult with the person next to you, okay, there's a, diff- there's a few different camps, right? Uh, for some of you guys, uh, you, know, you, you, you love uh, velvet taco, right? Or you love, for, for those of you who are more like controversial, you love Torchy's tacos, I don't know. Uh, or for those, you're like, I'm a, I'm a townie, I'm, a, I'm homegrown, you're like, I love Fuego, like just nothing better, you know, just waiting in that long drive-through line. And some of you are more simple, right? You're like, I'm not above Taco Bell, right? You're like, it is close, it's convenient, cheap is the number one quality that I am looking for when it comes to tacos, right? Um, And I I say that because I want you to think about the first time you visited that favorite taco place, okay? So whatever that place is for you, um, right? Think about the first, there was a first time that you visited that place. You had never experienced those tacos before, and then you visited. For me, it's Velvet Taco. That is my favorite place in town. I love it. There's other places that are good, okay? Uh, So no hate mail or anything. Like, I just love, but I love Velvet Taco. I remember it opened in College Station and just waiting in line and going to visit, and I'm like looking at the menu, and I'm like, what is that? Like, you can put, you can make a, like a chicken and waffle taco in the, in the, 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 instead of a tortilla, it's like a waffle, sweet, delicious shell. Like what is happening? And I remember I would go and I would, and you eat it for the first time. You're like, my life has changed. Right? Like there is now before, like there is former Thomas and now there is new Thomas because I have tasted this and like my palate is expanded and I'm elegant now or whatever. Right? But there's that moment you go from not understanding and you're hearing people talk about it and they recommend it and then you go and you experience it and then you're like, I understand. I see the light now. And I say that because as we start this new year together, right, I want to just realign us on the call on our life. And I think for some of us, we hear about the call on our life as believers, right, and we hear people talk about it or we hear people who have experienced it. But maybe if we are honest, we're like, okay, I haven't quite grasped the greatness of that yet. I haven't experienced it. And what I want to do today is help you go from that spot of not knowing or not being sure and going into and saying, I am, I am sold. I have experienced something and I have such clarity on its goodness that it has changed my life. Now, for some of us, I think when we think about the call on our life as believers, right, there, there's, there's often misunderstanding, there's often confusion, right? When we think about what we're trying to do here, when we gather together at church, Right, there's a lot of different things that can come into mind. Right, for some of us, like we're, we're thinking, like, oh, I need to surround myself with good people. Like, that's one of the that's that's the, that's what I need to do. I need to have positive influences in my life. I need to have uh, people that will pour into me, and like that's the that's what it's all about. But even that can be an incomplete picture for some of us. It's about uh, finding the right person, right? And you're like, I'm at church because that's where the eligible bachelors are, and, and that's who I want to, I want to go, I want to be there, right? And I'm, I'm here to meet people and surround myself with people in that way, right? Or for some of us, it's, it, we think the call in our life is maybe just about avoiding sin, 
right? Like, that's what Jesus wants for us. Like, we are here just to help mitigate the sin in our lives. So we just do less sinful things and generally go in a positive direction with our behavior. And we say, that's the call. But what I want to say this morning is that all of those are incomplete, right? The call in our life is very simple. I want to look uh, at Ephesians chapter 4 real quick with you guys. I, have it, I will have it on the screen as well. But look what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. He writes this, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he says, there's a calling that's been placed on your life. There's this calling that, 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 that the scriptures have presented before you, that Paul himself has put before you, that Jesus has laid before us. And he says, I want you to align yourself with that calling. Have your behavior reflect that calling. Live in light of that calling to which you have been called. So the question we should ask ourselves is this, what is the calling on our lives. What is that calling? And I want to phrase it this way. The call on your life is to be a disciple and to make disciples of Jesus. I'm going to read it again. The call on your life is to be a disciple and to make disciples of Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about today. As we step into this new year together, there's a lot of goals. Some of us are into the New Year's resolution. Some of us are like anti-New Year's resolutions. But regardless, if you're like me, right, you, maybe we, we, you had this break where your rhythms, your normal day-to-day -day life ha has just kind of been disrupted as you've been with family and you're cramming like 17 grandchildren in the same house and you're like, I need my personal space. I don't know. Uh, right? And, and and maybe we've just lost focus a little bit on what the call on our lives is. And I want to help us just recenter on that as we start this new year together. To be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, the main text that we're going to be in today is Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18 and going through verse 20. So if you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 18. I'll kind of show you where I'm getting this call on our lives. I want to read this for you. Sorry, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. So Matthew 4, starting in verse 18. Now Jesus, now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. You see this unique interaction. Jesus is walking, he's by the sea, and he sees these two brothers. He sees Peter, and he sees Andrew, and they're fishing, uh, right? And, and they're, they're just living their lives. And uh, Jesus approaches them, and he gives them this calling on their life. And he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So I want to focus on that first part, follow me, because I think that reflects this first part of the call. There's a call on your life to be a disciple, right? And Jesus just gives this invitation. He says, follow me. 
So what is discipleship? Like, what does it mean to be a disciple? I want to give you guys this definition here. To follow someone so closely that you can mimic them, right? What does it mean to, to be a disciple? I think it's this. To follow someone so closely that you can mimic them. Which, that can sound pretty intense, right? You're like, okay, I need my space or whatever. But it's like, no, we, we follow someone. To be a disciple of someone to, to follow them so closely uh, and, to, and to be discipled on them is to follow them so closely that we can mimic their behavior, right? And that sounds really intense, but we do this all the time. If you think about your first job, my first job was at Chick-fil-A, uh, and it was awesome because it was a mall Chick-fil-A, so it didn't, it didn't open until like 10, so I didn't have to do like the super early shift or anything like that. But part of my training wasn't just show, showing up and saying, hey, I got this, I'm just going to figure it out. My training, like the first week I was there, was just watching how Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A's us, okay, right? Like how they, uh, how they do their process. They're very particular. You say this, right? You, you don't just say thank you. You say my pleasure, right? And it's like this is how, we, you, know, this is how you make things right, and, and you always have a smile on your face, and you would just watch people who have done it before, and, and, and they would say mimic that behavior, right? And that's a picture of discipleship. And that's the first call on our life. Do you realize that? Like the first call on our life as believers is not just to, to do things for Jesus or, or to make a great uh, example for him or, or to do things in his name. Those things are important, right? One of the calls on our life is actually just to be a disciple of Jesus, to become like him, to follow him, to look at his life, to mimic him in such a way that we can live like he lived. So if you think about discipleship in the first century, right, it was is maybe different than how often we think about discipleship today, right? You would have a rabbi or a teacher, and he would select people to follow him, and they would follow him so closely that they would just kind of watch his life. They would see how he made his coffee in the morning. They would see how he talked to his family. They would see how he uh, articulated the scriptures. And if you actually look at the Old Testament, there's over 600 laws in the Old Testament. And one of the particular things that a disciple would do, if you were following a rabbi, you would look at how they interpreted scripture. You would say, okay, how, how, do, you, how do you interpret all of these laws that the scriptures put in front of us? What if, the, what if the two laws are conflicting with one each other and I can only obey one at a time? Which one takes priority, right? Do I help this person or do I rest on the Sabbath or how do I? And, and the rabbi's job was to teach you how to structure your life in such a way that you can mimic them, that you could thrive in your life. So I, I want to say this real quick because there's a lot of different ways that we can spend our life. And uh, Brian has talked about this before, but there's three broad categories for how we can spend our life. And the first one is this. We can either, we can waste our life. We can waste our life. Th that is a possibility. We can waste the life that we've been given. And to put it, it shortly, to waste your life means to live a life that benefits no one, not even yourself. You waste the opportunities you've been given. You waste the talents you've been given. You waste the influence that you might have. You, 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 maybe you just, uh, you, maybe you're given money or you're given uh, uh, talent or, or an immense skill in a particular area and you just don't use it. Or you, or you allow it to be wasted on things that do not impact or benefit anyone, not even yourself. 
And that's a really dark way to spend your life. But there's a second possible outcome. It is to spend your life. Now, this is a little bit different than the first one because it's not a total waste. You actually use everything you've been given, but not so much to benefit others, although maybe a little bit. You're actually just using it to benefit yourself. To spend your life is to say, I'm going I'm to use my life in such a way that I get the maximum out of it. I'm going to travel. I'm going to have experiences. I want to live a life that other people are jealous of. I'm going to live a life that other people look at and they say, man, I, I wish I could be like, like her. I wish I could be like him. And at the end of the day, to spend your life is to live a life that just benefits yourself. But then there's a third way to use your life, and that is to invest it. And that is not only to use your life in such a way that you are benefit, benefited, but your life is such a blessing and is full of such wisdom and, is, and you use your skills in such a skillful way that you become a blessing to the people around you. And to invest your life means to live a life that not only benefits you, but blesses and benefits the people who interact with you. Where they're not just jealous of your life, but they say, I like being around you because you pull out greatness in me. And you, 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 you bring joy into the places where you go. Now, the offering that I think Jesus is making is for that third type of life. He's saying, follow me. I want to teach you how to invest your life so that you can become a blessing, not only to you and your immediate family, but to everyone that you interact with. He says, that's the kind of life that I want to show you how to live. To live in such a way that you are full of love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, to be faithful, to be someone that remains steadfast in the midst of, of trial, to be someone who is not shaken by circumstances. When you come into a room, you bring peace instead of anxiousness. Our world is so full of anxiety, right? right? Like we just, we just, that's just natural for us. And, and Jesus says, I want to help make you into a person by mimicking my life where you bring peace into the room. And for some of us, I think we look at that and we're like, that's like almost impossible, right? Like, how, how is that even possible? But that's the invitation that Jesus is making. And it's the invitation of a lifetime. And I think before you today, like as we start this new year, we may have forgotten that that actually is an invitation, that there's this invitation to follow Jesus, to become like him, to become full of the fruit of the Spirit. And we can maybe have to say, hey, I've lost sight of that. I, I kind of need to zero back in on that message. Again, this is the opportunity of a lifetime, right? If I was to send you an email and say, hey, we should hang out sometime, you might blow it off because you're like, that's the youth pastor, whatever, right? If Brian was to send you an email, that might carry a little more weight behind. You might be like, that's pretty cool, right? But think about this. Like, if like Billy Graham came back from the dead and then sent you an email, you'd be like, you wouldn't be like, well, I'm kind of busy. Like, I got stuff I got to do. You'd be like, I'm going to respond to that invitation. Like, that is really, that's crazy. Like, that's a once in a lifetime thing, right? And when we think about this, this invitation that Jesus is giving to us right now, I think some of us, we were like, yeah, peace, joy, love, becoming who God created me to be. 
yeah, but there's other stuff I got to do. Like, I got to, like, my career and my, my family, and I got to get, like, soccer practice on time. And, and, and there's a lot of stuff that can choke that out. And I just want to remind you that this is the invitation of a lifetime. And we need to recenter ourselves on that. So how do we participate in discipleship? Because here, here's the deal. You look at Peter and you look at Andrew in this passage, and Jesus is physically there with them, right? And he walks by and he says, follow me, watch my life. But if we're honest, right, Jesus is not physically here with us anymore. So how can we learn from Jesus? I don't have this on the screen, but this comes from John chapter 16. This is what Jesus himself said. He said uh, from verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Which I don't know, I, that, that passage has always just landed. It's, it is so difficult for me to comprehend that. Because Jesus gathers his disciples, and he's telling them over and over and over again, Hey, I'm going to leave you. And they're like, Okay, we're going to follow you, Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 where I'm going, you can't go, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they're like, yeah, we got it. Okay, we're going to follow you now. And he's like, no, 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 you got to stay here. And he goes, it's actually good for me to leave you because when I leave, the helper will come. And the helper is the Holy Spirit. And just think about that. Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. So, so I heard one author put it this way, right? God inside of us, the Holy Spirit, is better than Jesus being beside us. Now think about that. Jesus says, it's good for me to go because then the Holy Spirit will come and he will be with you and he will teach you and he will walk with you and he will bring to mind the things that I did, the things that I taught, the, the, the things that made, uh, the, the things that I, that I revealed to you about God. And he says, it's good that I go because the Holy Spirit will come and he will be with you. Again, it's hard for me to comprehend that, but how do we build this life where we mimic Jesus. I just want to sum it up in this way right here. Uh, and this is just some language that I've uh, used in the past, whatever language uh, you want to use, but it's just seek, receive, and transform. How do we practice following Jesus? How do we become like him? I think the first thing is this, we seek Jesus. What does that mean? We, 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 we create space to be with Jesus through the scriptures, through prayer, through listening to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Have you done that? Or have we become too busy? Right? We can actually look at the scriptures and watch the rhythms of Jesus and how he lived his life. One of the things I'm trying to do right now is just kind of take note of how Jesus lived his life. And, and the Bible just says crazy things like Jesus, like he, he spent the entire night in prayer Right? Or he went, on to a, he, went, he went by himself onto a mountain to pray. And I'm like, man, Jesus just had this way of living his life that was so different. Or you look even just at practical, very, very simple things. Consistently in the scriptures, it says Jesus would, every, every Sabbath, he would go to the synagogue. And you see that over and over. He was constantly studying the scripture. He was helping teach the scripture. He was internalizing the scripture. He was memorizing it and quoting it. We read that, we, we see that, and we say, okay, if that's what Jesus did with his life, let me mimic that. And the Holy Spirit helps us. Which brings us to the second part, this receive. As we create space to spend time with Jesus, 
The Holy Spirit in us helps us understand, helps us obey. I love uh, what the scriptures say in Ephesians here. This comes from Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse 18. Paul, this is a prayer of Paul. He says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. And I love that prayer because Paul is, he's telling them, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would enlighten you, that he would help you just grasp this calling that you have received, that's been given to you. And a lot of times we think, okay, like, yeah, I'm reading my Bible, like, what do I get out of that? Or prayer, I haven't quite figured that out yet. And my challenge to you is persevere. Keep internalizing scripture. Keep spending time in his word. Keep setting aside time to pray. Keep seeking the Lord. And God is, I mean, the scriptures over and over say, man, God, God responds to those who seek him. God wants to be known. And as Paul prayer says, Paul's prayer here says, man, as we do that, our prayer becomes, God, reveal to me more, enlighten my heart so I can grasp this more, so I can see how you lived your life, and I might mimic it. And then the last part of that is to be transformed, right? As we learn, as God speaks to us, through his word to us, through his spirit, we are transformed, and we become like him each and every day. So what's, what's amazing about this is in Jesus' life, you see this, he's approaching a bunch of fishermen in Matthew chapter four, right? And he, those, are his first, those are the first disciples that Jesus calls. And he invites these guys, they're not the most educated, they're fishermen, right? They, they have, uh, you know, they, they were not intellectuals by, by the current standard of the day. And what's so amazing about the invitation of discipleship for Jesus is that the invitation is given to everyone. Right? He, he, he is saying, man, it, you don't have to have a certain background or a certain degree or a certain like, personality type that's like outgoing and charismatic. He says this invitation is given to everyone. And he flips the paradigm typically on its head. Right? The, the typical paradigm would have been the, the, the best students, the brightest minds, that's who I want to follow me. And Jesus says, no, I'm gonna take those who maybe by the world standards say, don't have it all together. So as I finish this first point, there's a call on your life to be a disciple of Jesus. Have you lost sight of that? And maybe there's a moment today where you say, okay, let me realign and let me create space to just sit with the scriptures and meet with Jesus through his spirit so that I might be transformed to become like Jesus. So let's go to our second point. And the good news is this is actually my last point. It's a two-point sermon. It's like a rare, it's like a four-leaf clover, right? Okay, there is a call on your life to make disciples. Okay, so going back to the text here, Jesus says, follow me. And then he also adds, I will make you fishers of men, right? That's a famous line. Uh, that Jesus gives. He says, I want you to follow me. I want you to become like me, but I also wanna teach you how to do what I am doing in such a way that you help other people follow me as well. And he says, I wanna use your life to be, I wanna transform your character, but I also wanna transform your life in such a way that other people 
can join you in that journey, and you can be the catalyst for making disciples in the earth. So um, I, I wanna get vulnerable with you guys and show you a picture from when I was in high school, um, believe it or not. Uh, this is me. Okay, so uh, I, did, I did band in high school, um, uh, specifically drumline. I have my little drumsticks. I did, I did bass drum. Um, and so I, did, uh, I played fifth bass, uh, which one time when I was teaching our youth ministry, I said, I played fifth bass. Do you guys know what that means? And some kid yelled, it means you were on the bench. And I was like, no, it means I was the fifth bass drum in the line. No, okay. Uh, but I played fifth bass drum, which is the biggest bass drum, the one that like kills your back. Um, and, and the way that uh, the, the season started, right, we would start practicing in the summer. Um, and if you're in band, you guys would know this, right? Uh, you start practicing in the summer. And the first thing you do is not go out onto the field, right? The first thing you do is like you sit in the band hall uh, and you're just learning the music and you're just learning it piece by piece. Um, and then and it's one, once you master a piece of music, then you can move out onto the field. But the season starts with you just practicing the music and learning but then there's one day when you show up, you show up to practice, and, right, and, the, and the band hall's like not set up the way that it normally is, and the band director says, hey, we're actually gonna go meet out on the practice field. Okay, we're gonna go out there. We're actually gonna learn the steps, and you're gonna learn to actually do this performance, right? And as I think about that, that's like a, I think some of us kind of get stuck there when we think about the call in our life to be, to be a disciple or make disciples. Um, right, we think, okay, my, my whole world's about just becoming like Jesus. Let me just learn the music and practice it. But there's also this step, this invitation to say, okay, yeah, you've learned the music, but let's go out onto the field and let's put this thing together for everyone to see. We're not just gonna sit in the band hall today. Right, and this step to, to be a, a disciple maker or to become someone who makes disciples Jesus says, I don't wanna just transform your life, but I wanna teach you how to make disciples. And I think for some of us, maybe we're still in the band hall. Just, hey, I've learned the music, I'm really good. Like, I can like translate, I can like study Greek, and like, I can translate passages, and I can do this. But man, have we translated that into ministering to the people that are around us? I'm gonna take this picture off. <laughs> so what does it mean to make disciples to put it simply, it's to invite someone to learn from you and to mimic your life. To invite someone to learn from you and to mimic your life. This call to make disciples is everywhere. So if you look at the final chapter in Matthew, it's a famous passage, the Great Commission. Jesus would say, make disciples of all nations. The final chapter of Mark says, go into all the wor world and preach the gospel to all creation. The final chapter of John Right, Peter has betrayed Jesus, but then Jesus restores him and says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Jesus' final words on earth, when you look at Acts chapter one, what does he say? You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. This wasn't just like a throwaway line. Um, right, it's, it's funny to like even look at what Jesus is doing here. He says, I will make you fishers of men, which has like dad joke vibes in it. Um, right, it's like, oh, you guys are fishermen? Uh, it's, like, it's like a baseball player, right? Jesus being like, I'm gonna teach you how to hit spiritual home runs. How about that, kiddo? You know, and, and it's, like, it's like, okay, it's a little, and it's, it's not a throwaway line by Jesus. It, it is a consistent drum that he hits over and over and over again. Make disciples. 
Go make disciples of all nations. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is part of the calling that we have received. So what I think is amazing is that when Jesus does that, right, he uses his little, I'll make you fishers of men. I think he's trying to say something. He's saying, you guys are currently fishermen, right? That, that's your skill set. Your skill set is catching fish. And Jesus says, I want to take that skill set in whatever context that is, and I, wanna, I want you to use that to make disciples. And he says, so I'm gonna make you into fishers of men. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna start a fisher ministry or whatever, but he's saying, I wanna take who you are and I want you to go make disciples. And what's amazing about each and every one of us is all of us have been positioned, we've been given skills and influence. Into, we're able to speak into certain rooms that no one else can. And we are called to go and make disciples. You have a unique skill set and a unique ability to contextualize the gospel for people. I tell this to our students all the time. I work with our high school and junior high students, and they have access, right, to the band halls. They have access to the football locker rooms or whatever, and they have relationships with people that might never come to our church, and they have the opportunity and the platform to make disciples, but so do you. Right, I remember I was studying mechanical engineering at A&M. That was my degree um, that, I, that I chose, um, maybe foolishly, but gritted it out. Um, perfect ministry degree, right? Um, but I remember being in mechanical engineering and God just grabbed hold of my life about halfway through college. And I just, it just started, I, I mean, I placed my faith in Jesus and really started following him and, and trying to learn from him and, and just kind of stumbling over myself saying like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know as much as other people. Um, but I remember just getting with a group of believers and saying, okay, we're in mechanical engineering. How do we influence people in the name of Jesus? And so some of our friends who are believers got together and said, let's just start a Bible study. And we just started studying the word together with, with guys in our class, with people who, who never would come to our church or anything like that. And we were able to influence people in the name of Jesus. Right? We saw, I saw one of my best friends in college come to faith just through conversation, who was also a mechanical engineer. God has positioned each of us with specific influence to say, you go make disciples in the places where I have put you. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 14. Starting at verse 12, he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Again, another crazy line of Jesus where he's like, you're gonna do great things and maybe even greater things than me. And there's debate on what Jesus exactly means. But I think one of some of the stuff he is tapping into there is Jesus says, hey, I've lived my life. I, I am going. And there's things that you will do that, are, that, 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 I, that I haven't done. So if you think about that, like Jesus wasn't a basketball player as far as I know, right? Or Jesus wasn't uh, the manager at this company. Jesus wasn't, he didn't have access to people in the same way as we do in the 21st century, right? Physically being here. And I think there's some of what Jesus is saying is, man, you're gonna take this message that I've given you and you're gonna take it to the ends of the earth into places that I never physically stepped foot in. But what Jesus says is, he's not saying because you're so awesome. Look what he says. He says, because I go to the Father, that's why we'll be able to do these things. 
So you don't go in your greatness, we go in the grace of Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. That is how we make disciples. So I wanna conclude with this. Again, there is a call on your life to be a disciple and to make disciples. And there's a lot at stake here. There's excitement in your life at stake, belonging. There's regret if we pass on this, right? I want you to think about this, right? Think about your seventh grade self. Oh, I picture yourself in seventh grade, whoever that was. And so you're like, don't make me do it. And I'm like, let's go there, right? Seventh grade, just picture yourself. Now just imagine, imagine if you, you know, could visit yourself and say, hey, this is the things that you will accomplish. You will, you will go to high school and you will play these sports and you're gonna go to A&M and you're gonna get this degree and you're actually gonna start this company and you're gonna do these things. And you could go back and tell yourself that. And imagine if your seventh grade self is like, mm. I've kind of like matured to the point that I, I just wanna stop here. You know, I'm just content being 12, right? It's like I have enough, uh, I have enough uh, skill set here. I'm just, gonna li- I'm just gonna stay where I'm at. I don't wanna grow anymore. I don't wanna get taller. I don't wanna learn anything else. I think we would all look at that person and be like, man, that, is, that person's gonna miss out like, and have like social problems, right? And like there's gonna be a lot wrong with that, but right? we would say there's a lot of issues with that. And I want, I want us this morning to not pass on this invitation because I think spiritually we can say, yeah, I, I've like, I've kinda, I'm kind of just happy with where I'm at, right? I've, like, you know, I've stopped cursing so much, so I'm like cool with that. Like That's a good line. And there's, Jesus is calling us to so much greater, things that we can't even fathom. There's, there's things that the Spirit wants to do through us. And he's calling us even right now He wants to transform you and your character and to make you into the type of husband or the type of wife that he has called you to. He wants to heal marriages. He wants to uh, bring healing into the relationships in your life across your family. He wants to transform you into someone who brings peace and the gospel into every corner of this earth. And I pray that this morning we wouldn't just say, no, I'm good. I'm good with just staying where I'm at, you know. This is great where I'm at. Don't stay in seventh grade, please. And so that is my challenge. So will you answer that call on your life? So to kind of end this morning, we're actually gonna celebrate communion together. Um, And communion is uh, an awesome gift that Uh, God has given us, Um, and you should have gotten one of these. Uh, If not, um, I think the ushers have them in the back, Uh, so you can raise your hand if you need one. But communion is one of these really cool things that Jesus has given us as a picture of his death on the cross, and he gives us the bread and, and the wine as a picture of just the vividness of his blood and his body that was broken on our behalf. And communion serves as a moment in time where we say, God, let me just reflect on that truth. The reality that Jesus, who is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived, he was perfect, flawless, and yet was killed. And not just killed, but crucified on our behalf. 
And so as we think about this call on our life, if there's a spot where you say, man, I've lost sight of that call or I've settled, just confess that to the Lord as we reflect and we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so I wanna read to you guys from 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. And then verse 25 says, in the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And I love what verse 26 says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. God, thank you for the death of Jesus who saves us from our sins. God, we thank you that he didn't just die, but he was raised again and now sits at your right hand interceding for us, silencing the accuser who wants to weigh us down with burdens, silencing death itself. And so, Father, we just pray this morning that you would just center us on the death and resurrection of Jesus, on the call that we have received to be a disciple and to make disciples. And may this semester, for some of us, just be a new start, a realignment. Or as Corby prayed earlier, just that we would place our faith in you for the first time. God, you know what you want to do, and you're inviting us. May we receive that call. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.